You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We are hurtling towards the NFL draft. We're two weeks away as we record here on Wednesday. First round will be on Thursday, the 29th. Uh, we're bringing you just some pure platinum podcasting here. No basketball this week. Maybe we'll do NBA playoffs as we get closer, but uh, no hoops this week. Uh, I want to bring in my uh, partner, Alex Kaftov. Alex, how you doing, man? What's going on? What is it, Justin Fields' second pro day? You mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're going to see this, that Justin Fields is going to have another showcase. I was like, Lou, you really think that? And here we are. Not necessarily a second pro day. I think the, the whole thing was without the private workouts. Again, you know, you read the tea leaves, but it's not like, well, geez, I knew. But when you saw, you know, Alabama had a second pro day and uh, the San Francisco brass is there, but they skipped Justin Fields and then the big story. Oh, my gosh, why are they skipping this? You know, lo and behold, you know, you go to Ohio State, have a second pro day, why don't you? And maybe only five or six teams will show up to this one. But I think the key here is, and maybe one of the reasons why it's not televised, I haven't found it anywhere on TV today, their personal coaches won't script these, right? I mean, I think the, the, the teams that go in there are able to kind of say, here's what we want to see, and they incorporate that. And so it's more like a, you know, again, quote unquote, private workout, but everybody's invited. I don't know how many people showed up, but I'm pretty certain that uh, Shanahan is there. And I think that'll kind of quell all that conspiracy stuff. I still think there's a pretty good possibility. I don't think today is going to be like a huge deal, but, you know, it'll help. And, hey, these are the kinds of throws we want to see you make. These are the kinds of throws we make in our offense. Maybe it does kind of bring them closer together. But my thought is that moving up to number three and using all that draft capital, they were going to go for a high-end athlete nothing against mac jones but i don't think at any point during this process he was ever thought of as high as the number three pick in this draft but that's all you hear about lou like there's this mac jones smoke coming from everywhere and it seems like most of the people are believing in this if 90 percent of the people are believing in this and then you start also telling yourself that it must be true it must be that they went to the Senior Bowl and just saw a lot of things and, and how he, he rallied you know his teammates and the energy that he brought. I would assume that that's where it all kind of picked up. I don't know if any of that stuff. I, yeah, I think that helped him. But as far as him going number three, it just became this kind of connecting the dots after San Francisco made the trade. Because before that, you know, you weren't thinking he was, you know, Miami was going to take him or any of those other teams near the top are going to take looking at Mac Jones. I mean, you'd think the highest, I think, in, in most cases was at number eight to Carolina. 
but and again these are just mock drafts and people's but again it's connecting the dots it's so well geez you know this is what Shanahan is looking for and you know Kirk Cousins is his ideal quarterback and again it's all conjecture and maybe you know this was part of San Francisco's plan all along again I don't know why because the first two are pretty much locked in oh by the way Trey Lance is having a second pro day as well and I think that's next week so we can we can revisit this again but it seems like that's all we hear that Kyle Shanahan prefers Mac Jones and John Lynch likes Trey Lance there's nowhere in in the middle here there's no Justin Fields here I also believe that this is this is smoke I mean, San Francisco is enjoying this process yeah. right now. Kyle Shanahan everybody's and John talking about Lynch are like, yeah. everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about what they would do with that number three pick. It's going to be Justin Fields. I'm telling you. It's just, I'm going against the grain here, and you are as well. We're not believing this. We're, we're standing out on a, you know, a deserted island there, Lou. But I just, a couple of people also believe that Justin Fields is going to go number three. But it's it's like a small minority. Everybody is buying this hype. I don't buy it. I think Justin Fields is the guy just because I think they want to get that playmaker. A guy that if a play breaks down, he can pick up things with his with his feet. Like a Josh Allen. Like a Lamar Jackson. Like RG3, if you want to connect the dots. I mean... Washington did pick Robert Griffin III. They went up to trade with the Rams that year, and they picked them number two overall. They thought very highly of him, and they changed their whole offense around Robert Griffin III. Justin Fields is a better thrower than Griffin was coming out of Baylor. I'm sticking to my own story right now on the air that I believe it's going to be Justin Fields at three and not Mac Jones and not Trey Lance. I, I think there's still there's a chance that it could be Trey Lance as well. Really depends on how they feel about Jimmy Garoppolo starting and playing most of next season. Not feeling the whole the whole Mac Jones thing. Is then if he doesn't go at number three, who's gonna take him? Somebody's gonna have somebody's gonna make a move. If he could you imagine if no one makes a move, and 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 Carolina's on the clock at eight. They just traded for uh, Sam Darnold. Is there any chance, because they've said they're still looking at the quarterback position and they don't have a ton invested in Sam Darnold, you know, some a few picks, maybe a little bit of money, but they got to pay a starter no matter who's playing. Do they pull the trigger? We've seen quarterbacks tumble on draft day, that, but not recently quarterbacks are, are going like, you know, really, really high. So the Falcons, obviously Atlanta, I think is is going to be like, it's a huge ransom right there for somebody to try to trade up with Atlanta at number four. And I do believe that Atlanta is entertaining that just to pick up extra picks. Carolina has got to look at Justin Fields at number eight. If he's right there, nobody traded up, not even the Patriots, not the Denver Broncos. You sat there you traded Sam Darnold. You can't afford to trade up anymore. But you know Teddy Bridgewater is a goner. Yeah, you picked Justin Fields. Why not? Well, not Fields. I, mean, I was thinking, what if it was Jones that starts to fall? What happens? To, that's what I'm saying is if, if Fields and Lance are gone by that point, do you feel somebody would be feel strongly enough again because we had him, you know, everybody's talking about him at three, but now all of a sudden he like falls out of the top six, seven. 
you know, Detroit at seven. You know, are they married? Are they married to uh, Jared Goff? I think if Carolina has any chance to pick a quarterback at eight, whoever it is, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, they should pull the trigger. And this is my point, Lou. Sam Darnold can be your starter in 2021. But if Sam Darnold has a good year in that offense, you're going to have to extend him. You're going to have to give him a huge contract based on that one year. But Carolina, they need to build up the roster. They need to expand it. They need to get more players at other positions if if Matt Rule wants to be successful. You can't tie up half of your money, half of your salary cap in, in Sam Darnold after just one year. So if the extension comes up, you have a rookie quarterback, you can use Sam Darnold as, as a trading piece. So you traded for him, and then he had a good year, and then you're confident in whoever that rookie quarterback that you picked at number eight, you bring him along in 2022 and trade Sam Darnold. This may be one of the quickest, let's reset the rookie quarterback uh, contract clock ever. You know, <laughs> they're doing it before the guys even played. But yeah, that that makes sense. Lou, yeah. I want to manipulate the draft. Yeah. I gave up a I gave up a sixth round pick, a second round pick, and a fourth round pick for right. Sam Darnold. If he has a good year with Joe Brady as his offensive coordinator, which you would hope, I would hope that's what they're thinking is going to happen. But now, like you said, now does he get traded again? That's going to be the thing. Yeah, I, that's that's going to be one that they're going to have to decide, and that, that makes sense, I guess, to me, because, again, you are then getting back to that low contract for your quarterback and building up the rest of the roster and not having had to uh, you know mortgage your future to get him. So I could buy that. But that's my thinking, right? I'm thinking Sam Darnold has a good year. I can I can turn that second, fourth, and sixth round pick into a first round pick. But if, what if he has a bad year, Lou? And that's also a possibility. What if he's not the quarterback that, that Carolina traded for and believes he can be? And certainly so far during his three years, Sam Darnold can't give us anyone, even his his biggest proponents like myself, I mean, we can't like stand on an island and say Sam Darnold is going to be great in Carolina in 2021. He's got the weapons. He's got the offensive coordinator. This team believes in him. But that's not a given. What if he has a bad year? And then Carolina is basically stuck at, at where they were this year. They're looking for a quarterback in 2022. Why not, knowing that this is a good quarterback class, five guys are going to go in the top 10, why not restart it this year? Think about the future. And I'm always thinking about the future. And this is what GMs and teams should do. This isn't about today. It's about tomorrow because I have the confidence that with a good team, I can build a solid enough franchise in two or three years that I can turn into a playoff contender. Thinking two, three steps ahead. If Sam Darnold has a bad year, boom, I've got a rookie quarterback. If Sam Darnold has a good year, that means I have to extend him. I could trade him for a nice chess piece. Somebody's always willing to make trades with these quarterbacks. I'm always thinking ahead. So again, I mean, they're pretty early in their run, if you would, at Carolina, meaning the, the coach and the GM. The one wild card in this is the is the new owner. He seems to be somebody that's going to be very hands-on, Tepper. 
you know, hedge fund manager. I think he kind of really believes in himself and, and his abilities and maybe not so much as coaching the team or anything like that. Not quite Jerry Jones, but, you know, I think that's going to play into this as well as far as the urgency. Yes, I mean, in perfect world, you know, if you were the Steelers organization, you know, places like that that really take their time about things and don't worry so much about next year and, you know, right now. You know, I I hope that's the way it goes for Carolina because I think that's the way you build your team. But I'm sold. I am buying what you're selling, Alex. Uh, I'm I'm with it. So Julian Edelman hung it up. Injuries, you know, was just too much. The guy, to me, I mean, he personifies, I guess, what a Bill Belichick player, Patriot player, whatever you want to call it, is. I mean, comes into the league, multiple positions, a grinder makes himself into a great player. Uh, start out, re- you know, returning punts, playing special teams. I think he played some defensive back and was always behind Wes Welker. And Welker kind of played that position and was kind of the prototype, I suppose, uh, as the slot receiver. And then kind of got to a point where Belichick said, okay, we're ready to, to move on. Let's move this guy in. And again, the the obligatory, okay, here's where we are. He's done. The next thing always, does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? I just think, you know, this is a guy that got every ounce out of every day, got every ounce out of talent that he had, and then superseded that with just the desire to win and made some iconic plays in the playoffs and did great things and was Brady's guy for several years. Hall of Fame, I'm not sure, but you got to respect what he did. I didn't love him as a player, obviously, for you know some reasons in the AFC Championship game a few years ago. But but no, just have to totally respect his game and what he did for that team. I do respect it. There's no way he's a Hall of Famer just because it's, with all due respect, it's a passing league nowadays, and you know you need to have 900 catches, over a thousand catches today over like 10,000 yards. He doesn't have the touchdowns. I mean, these are his numbers. 620 receptions for 68-22 receiving yards and 36 touchdowns. I get it. I mean, he saved his best for last, and he won Super Bowls, and he played well in the playoffs. No way. I mean, we're not going to see like a, a Lynn Swan story in today's day and age. There's no way Julian Edelman is is getting into the Hall of Fame. A great player, all about inspiration, and the Patriots definitely turned him into to that star. Are you sure that he's retired? Because I have a feeling that around November, Tom Brady <laughs> is going to get him on the phone, and he's yeah, going to join have, the Yeah, they get some more injuries to their wide receivers. I, yeah, it could, this could be a Gronk thing. And again, it doesn't matter, but he put out like a, a very well-done video of his retirement announcement, which was just... Uh, to me, with great production value. I think if anybody is into that kind of stuff, it was very well done. But I'm telling you, if Tom Brady gets you on the phone and like even at 80 or 90% of where you were, I think they're they're definitely going to bring him in. Look how desperate the Bucks were. They brought AB out. And Julian Edelman is a better team player. Brady. So I would have... Well, now you got Gronk, Gronk pulling at him too. Like, I have my question marks whether Edelman is 
if he's going to stay retired. I have a feeling he's going to come out and, and make a run for the Bucks. I mean, they bring him around November, save him for the playoffs, and then, hey, go for that for that two-peat. And who knows? I mean, when you've got your former teammates kind of pulling for you, they brought every player that they could. And Giovanni Bernard has been brought out there. Again, it's it's an all-star team all over again. It's it's like the Lakers or Golden State or the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets right now. It's like you're you're building a super team and it worked last year and it could work again in 2021. So Scotty Miller should be on alert. <laughs> maybe maybe he needs to make a move. The question I was gonna was gonna raise was this: five years from now, no way is even close to a first ballot Hall of Famer. And they talk about this backlog of receivers, and it just just the whole process of it. I think the only way he would get in is if, like you said, you know, it's a, it's become a passing league. We all, everybody knows that, and you've heard that ad nauseum. At a certain point, does the Hall of Fame or the voters start maybe separating the slot receiver, almost making that a separate position? And if that's the case, he would probably go down as one of the best to do it, depending on you know what happens over the next 10 years. But then you'd have to have somebody, one of these voters, really sell it to the, you know, the, the rest of the voters and get him in, so to speak. Could you see that as a scenario where they, they kind, of, kind of delineate wide receiver, slot receiver separate from the, say, wide receivers? I don't think it's going to happen. I think that's really a tough sell, even for me, to differentiate a receiver, an outside receiver, from a slot receiver. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, the NFL is is not a league that that is flexible, and the Hall of Fame committee and the whole process there, I mean, those are like old school guys, and for them, I mean, it's it's all about numbers. I mean, there's so many other wide receivers, and you mentioned this. It's about wide receivers as well. Well, yeah, you look at there's, somebody like Heinz Ward, who I guess not a similar career. I mean, he much greater numbers, and he's not getting a sniff. And so that means Edelman. There's no way he's going to get. No, a sniff as of as it stands, if they do it the way, if they keep doing it the way they are, with a limited number of guys getting in. Now, maybe again, years down the road, when they they do these senior enrollees or inductees, uh, like Drew Pearson, like whatever, thirty years after he he retired, forty years after he retired. When they look back at this era and say, "Okay, who had some? Who had the greatest impact at you know at that position?" Maybe, but but again, that's a very slim chance. I think, even though as it stands right now, he is number two in playoff receiving receptions and yardage. You know, behind Jerry Rice. Now it's a pretty big gap, but as far as yards per game, it's about the same. Yeah, he's got some things going for him, but not enough to get in anytime soon. I would make a case for Wes Welker before I would make a case for Julian Edelman. Well, at least he's, he's got a Super Bowl MVP, and he's won some. I mean, Welker, yeah, probably maybe more numbers, but not quite the playoff numbers. That's unfair, Lou. I mean, you, you've been a really good player who got over 100 receptions, over 1,000 yards, you know, multiple seasons. Edelman doesn't have that. So Welker has more of a resume, in my opinion, than Edelman to make a case in the future 
and he is not going to get in as you know the first ballot hall of famer it's going to take a while i would make more of a case for wes welker here than i would for yeah. edelman probably yeah i mean again it, it would be a very remote chance and there would have to be a change in you know how they currently uh view the hall of famers so you know this isn't going to be anytime soon before we put a button on this gunner olszewski i think is the next one in that list welker edelman Gunnar Olszewski, will we see him be like the ultimate overachiever in the Patriots' uh, offense? As long as Belichick is there, I think he'll have a job. So look for him to maybe... 10 years, 12 years from now, we having the same conversation. We're going to fix another team today, and it looks like uh, Miami Dolphins are on the, on the uh, next up. 10-6 and six last year. They didn't get in the playoffs. They were close, um, but they got dusted that last game against Buffalo. 56 to 26, and it wasn't as close as the score would indicate. They were just completely overmatched, outplayed, and did not look like a playoff team at all. To me, they're still the most intriguing, the most fascinating team going into this draft because they've got a lot of capital. They've got four picks in the top 50. It looks like they're gonna they're gonna stick with Tua for the time being, so they're not gonna be taking a quarterback. To me, as far as fixing the team through the draft, they've got a real opportunity here in the next few years because of all the picks to really do that. They've got a pretty decent roster as it stands now, maybe not as deep, but that you know should start to correct itself over the next few drafts. But you know, as far as trading up, trading back, I mean, they can go any number of ways and you know, do do well with it. So if they're sitting there at six, who do you have them taking at that spot? Look, if Atlanta trades that pick and assuming or maybe takes a quarterback, look, the Dolphins have to go Kyle Pitts. And uh, we, we talked about it last week. You know, maybe Pitts goes to Atlanta. Maybe Pitts goes to the Bengals. But if Kyle Pitts is sitting there at six, you try to run up and, and get that card as quickly as possible. I realize that you've got Mike Gesicki, and he had a nice season, but with all due respect, Mike Gesicki is not Kyle Pitts. Plus, you can get creative with those two tight end sets. We all know that you know, the Miami Dolphins brass, the coaching staff, comes from the Patriots tree, and they love to get creative with multiple tight ends. And now if you can get Kyle Pitts, you can have Gesicki, Kyle Pitts, it would just make your offense and make Tua's life a lot easier. And you can get a wide receiver later on. I realize that they just brought in Will Fuller, Devontae Parker. Those are two outside receivers. And Devontae Smith sounds appealing at six. But look, I just think Kyle Pitts is a bigger weapon. We talked about it last week. I don't want to be repetitive. And you can get a wide receiver on day two. Day two receivers always overproduce those guys that are drafted in the first round. And that, that's the direction that I would go in. Well, they also have the 18th pick. So, I mean, if they really liked uh, you know, a wide receiver not named Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, or Jamar Chase, then you know, they could probably have their, their pick at, at 18. But, yeah, you know how I feel about Pitts. I mean, he's, he's going to be the first non-quarterback selected. So if he's sitting there at six, absolutely run to the podium. Whoever you have to call, send smoke signals. Pitts is the guy. And then you're sitting at 18 and then they, they can go in any direction, right? I mean, seriously, I mean, they, they they need to look at edge rushing or the linebacker position. So the best players 
I mean, they can go again at 18 if, if they're there. Jalen Phillips may be somebody that they like from the U. Ojalari from uh, Georgia, that may be a bit high, but you know, if they really like him, again, they can slide back. They can do whatever they want. So they're in such a prime position here. Zaven Collins is a guy that there was two guys watching college football this year that just popped to me. Zach Wilson and Zaven Collins. Now, there are obviously Kyle Pitts and all these other guys, but as far as guys that, when I watched them, maybe didn't know much about them before, and just watching them play, like, that guy's different than everybody else on the field. So, to me, in my book, would be a a great pick as well. Running back is another need, but, you know, again, they've got the number 36 pick, the number 50 pick. They can do that in the second round, unless they're in love with Najee Harris or Etienne or Javante Williams. But again, that might be a little high there. But you've got a, a good selection of edge rushers and linebackers there at 18 that could certainly solidify that defense because you lost Shaq Lawson. You lost, gave away Kyle Van Noy after a season. So this is an intriguing team. They, I just think they're going to be moving around this board throughout, throughout the draft. But they need help for Tua. If you want him to be successful, you keep saying that he had kind of an up-and-down rookie season. You need to get him another you know, pass catcher and a tight end. You need to get him a wide receiver, maybe two. You need to get him you know, a versatile running back, maybe his former teammate. You have to think about offense, offense, and offense, in my opinion. I'm not talking about – I agree with you with the 18th overall pick. I think edge rusher should be – the number one position. Well, that's probably where the where the value is, right? At that correct sitting at eighteen. But then you have to go offense because you know with this coaching staff they can bring in some some defensive players on day three or undrafted guys and they can coach him up. That that seems to be the theme. They they have a good system. They've got a really good secondary, and now they've got to improve their front seven or especially their linebacking core. I think they can do that later on, but. If you want Tua to be successful, you need to get him a lot of weapons and then see, obviously, and then you'll find out whether he is the guy. So which receiver outside of the ones that we've already mentioned would, would fit here with like a like a Rashad Bateman? Is that, are you getting value at that pick? At 18, no, but if you trade down maybe to like in the 20s, I think Bateman becomes a possibility because he can play in the slot even though he's a bigger type of receiver, but... You know, he's kind of like a Keenan Allen, a shorter Keenan Allen, because he measured in at like 6 feet, 210. But he had success in the slot, especially as a junior this year. That's where Minnesota lined him up, passing on Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase. Then on day two, you might look at somebody like Amon Ross St. Brown. That's a possibility, a guy from USC. I think he's a very underrated receiver. I see him as a slot guy. At the next level, I think that would be his best position. And USC wide receivers have kind of, you know, become better players in the NFL. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., I was that's the first name that comes to mind. Is Where would you, if those two were coming out at the same time? I actually think Amadara St. Brown gives you a little bit more versatility because he can line up outside, he can line up in the slot. I think he is he's a precise route runner. You know, Amadara St. Brown... I've heard this comparison. This isn't me making this comparison, but I agree with it. I think he's more of a Robert Woods. Like, if you can get a Robert Woods on day two, hey, you you try to race that, that card as quickly as possible to the podium. 
I think that that's a guy that I would compare him to. And obviously both guys went to USC, but both guys are sharp, precise route runners, good hands, can make catches in traffic. I'm a lot higher on Amon Ross St. Brown than a lot of other folks out there. But I would pound the table for him on day two. But I think it's clear that the Dolphins need to address that that slot receiver. Because Devontae Parker and Will Fuller are outside receivers. So you need that guy that go and, and make those plays on, on third down. So if, if you do luck out and get Pitts at six, do you still go with a slot receiver at 18? Does that change your thinking a little bit and go towards the edge rusher? Yeah, I would go towards the edge rusher. The guys that you mentioned when we started discussing the Dolphins, those edge rushers, you're not going to find those guys on day two. No. And so it's a it's a lean group and they're probably not as good as they've been in years past from what I understand and just kind of watching some of these guys who would be who would be your top three. Look, I've I'm a big fan of Ajulari. Aziz Ajulari to me presents the highest ceiling out of this group because he's a redshirt sophomore. As a rookie coming in, he could be that situational pass rusher, but we're building for the future. So to me, he's got the highest ceiling at this point. He's got those long arms. He he needs to expand the pass rush moves, but I like his motor. He can bend around the edge. He can dip that shoulder. For a young guy, he made a lot of impact plays for Georgia as a redshirt sophomore. You don't have to like even study the film. If you watch Georgia and SEC football, Ajulari was a playmaker week in and week out, and he really came on. And he's only 20 years old. Jalen Phillips scares me in the first round because of his injury history. He's got a huge injury history, got immense talent. He was the number one overall recruit that went to UCLA, but He had so many concussions. He even retired from football before he came back to Miami. That would scare me a lot. And if he drops, it's going to be because of that. Teams are scared of his durability because on film, the what he put up on the last like, you know, last year at Miami, he's a top 15 pick. Uh, So I don't have Jalen Phillips rated that highly just because that injury history. I like Zayvon Collins. From Tulsa, just because he's the prototype 3-4 outside linebacker, he's built like it. He's 6'4", 260. Everybody knew that you had to block him, but he still continued to make plays. He may not be a big sack producer, but he's a guy that's just an all-around guy. He can help you in pass coverage as well. So I think those are the guys that I'm looking at. Um, Another guy that I'm really high on, but he's not going to be a first-round pick. He's going to be more of a third-round pick. And this is where Miami might go to is Jalen Phillips' teammate. I'm a big fan of Quincy Roche. And he fits as a 3-4 outside linebacker. He's got a really strong bull rush. Uh, he's got heavy hands. He also can bend around the edge. He can dip that shoulder. He had like I looked up at the stats and with pass rushers, it is about production. It's kind of like wide receivers. People for some reason kind of shy away with from that those edge rushers it is about production he had 54 tackles for loss during his career at temple and miami and 31 and a half sacks the guy just knows how to get after the quarterback he's very disruptive and and makes a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage so if they don't go at 18 with 
Ajulari or Zayvon Collins or Phillips if he checks out. But I think Quincy Roche is a possibility on day two. Well, like you said, I mean, this team certainly has a New England flavor to it. So they they love their linebackers. That w- wouldn't shock shock me in the in the least that that that's the way they go. Maybe once or two or maybe even three during the course of the draft because the way it looks right now, you've got Van Ginkle. Uh, they signed Bernardrick McKinney from Houston, Jerome Baker, and Emmanuel Ogba. You probably have some room for for improvement in the, in that group, and that, again, all due respect to these guys, and I love Emmanuel Ogba. Uh, his year with the Chiefs, I thought, you know, was great. Had another good year last year. Hard for him to stay on the field, it seems like, but when he's healthy, obviously a, a very good player. What are you thinking, offensive line at all? Because you know they they drafted Austin Jackson last year. But, you know, some of these guys may have some value maybe at the right tackle position. I'm not thinking about, you know, offensive tackle early. As we know, the New England Patriots, they usually don't invest in, you know, offensive line really high. But then they think about those versatile offensive linemen like round three, four, five, or maybe even later on. That's the direction that the Miami Dolphins will go. I mean, they drafted Austin Jackson last year to be their left tackle. They'll stick with him. And I just, I think they can address the offensive line a little bit later on in the draft. And I think on day three is is a huge possibility. All right, so six, we're looking for the best pass catcher available whether it's Pitts, chase you know one one of those guys at 18 if we do secure Pitts, we're going to go to the edge if that number six pick is jamar chase does that change your thinking at 18 i think jamar chase is one of the most overrated players in this draft i don't see him as a top 10 player i don't see him as a number one wide receiver in an offense forget about how people are projecting him they People are talking up Chase like he's going to be a top five wide receiver in this league. And I realize a lot to get excited about. Obviously, look at the year that Justin Jefferson had. Look at Jamar Chase was the number one wide receiver on that team. Well, I team. think that's what most people are pointing to. Is saying, right. Well, he's geez, scored, but let's Jefferson. scout the player. Let's scout the player and not the helmet. I understand yeah. that. He, he scored 20 touchdowns in his lone season. He had a great year. I see an average route runner, and I'm usually a guy that that pays more attention to that. Um, you can become a better route runner in the NFL. We've seen some guys. Like Devontae Adams was was an average route runner when he came out of Fresno State. Look at the type of player that he's turned out to be. Tyreek Hill. I think Hill. He's, he's stiff. I don't see how he's going to be able to dominate what he showed in college. We'll just expand on Jamar Chase a little bit. He's a six-foot wide receiver who during his loan season at LSU played like a 6'3", 6'4", receiver because he's strong, he attacks the ball at the highest point. He's not going to be able to do that with his height. Even though he tested through the roof, showed a great vert and broad jump, I get it. He's got the athleticism. I don't see that 4'3", speed that he showed at his pro day. I just don't. I didn't see that separation in college and I see him as a possession receiver who needs to become a better route runner if he wants to separate being harsh but remember a guy by the name of Sammy Watkins Lou oh yeah I wasn't high on I wasn't high on him coming out I think we remember that yeah, conversation. Buffalo Buffalo made a big move to what like three or four to get him absolutely and like I said we we've seen these situations before and 
we see wide receivers being pushed in, into the top 10. And If Pitts is gone, if they're not that high on Chase, do you think then it becomes one of the other two Alabama receivers? Or do they say, well, we can trade back and get the guys that we want? I've heard Brian Flores praise Devontae Smith that he doesn't care that he's 170 pounds. He just sees a playmaker. sees a guy that, that can change the game, whether it's an outside receiver or in the slot. They can get creative with him. It just sounded like Brian Flores was really praising Smith at the Heisman Trophy. So I think that's the direction that they should go in because they need a slot receiver. The Patriots always had a successful slot receiver in when Brian Flores was there, whether it's Wes Welker or Julian Edelman, we've already talked about it. So you need a guy that can pick up that third and five, that can move the chains. And Devontae Smith, it can be even more than that. I mean, he can be more dynamic. You can use him on, on jet sweeps. You know, you can use him uh, on those deep balls as well. He is a really dynamic player that has got that short area quickness. He just, he gets open, man. It, it doesn't matter if you're 160 pounds or 200 pounds. I don't care about that. If you're able to do it at a high enough level in the SEC is, is that, I'm, I'm all in. So I love Devontae Smith. So I think it's Pitts, Devontae Smith, 1A. 1B. All right, so Pitts or Smith at six. Then we look at our edge rusher or 3-4 uh, outside linebacker at 18. And then more than likely, I mean, again, this is in my mind, I'm thinking at 36, like you said, either depending on who they get at six, the receiver or one of the running backs that more than likely all of them are going to get pushed way down. I don't know that any of them are going to go in the first round. Yeah, Harris, Etienne, and Javante Williams. I mean, you've got you've got a choice there. Maybe the Steelers, but I don't. I just don't feel them going in that direction in the first round. And the Dolphins, I guess, were the other team that you were thinking that could do it, but I don't think they would do it at eighteen. So at thirty-six, now I think that's when they probably address another offensive player, running back or wide receiver, depending on you know how it goes at the top. Free agent wise, like I mentioned, McKinney before. They, you mentioned Fuller. Uh, they bring in Malcolm Brown. I don't think he's going to be like an every down back, but you know they have somebody. You know, depending on what happens in the draft, at least they've got somebody they can line up tomorrow and play. Skura center from from Baltimore. I don't know that he's going to start over Dieter. He might. I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. But it was more so the interesting ones were, were the ones they kind of let go. Like I mentioned, Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, Breida, a couple others. Grugier Hill thought that was a linebacker that that might uh, have some help for him. Their center, Ted Karras course goes to New England. Oh, three of their guys went to New England, of course. Karras, Godshaw, and uh, and Van Noy. So in free agency, they didn't do a ton. They're building through the draft. They got plenty of capital. Believe they're going to be active moving up and around the board. So any other tidbits we should add to this recipe to fix the Dolphins? Yeah, blow it all up. Uh, trade Tua and draft a quarterback <laughs> at six. And we, we can have this conversation for the next half an hour Woo-hoo! or something like that. Why not? But like the, I, said, I think uh, they are on the cusp of being a very good team because, again, they're, you know, they're not – we'll see what happens with these draft, you know, these weapons that they get because they're not very explosive right now. Defense and special teams, 
they've gotten better each year under floors, and I don't expect that to stop anytime soon. Yeah, the only thing is that coaching staff wishes that it drafted Justin Herbert. Well, in that. ifs and buts, right? We can go back and replay history, but they got their guy, at least for the time being, and they're going to stick with him. Now, looking ahead to the season, obviously, you know, there was a bunch of coaches on the hot seat last year. There were a lot of changes. Uh, we're in April going towards the draft, but I think, you know, you can already, some coaches are probably already feeling it. The biggest surprise, well, actually, like the, the worst surprise ever, not surprise at all, uh, Matt Nagy in Chicago certainly is going to be on my list. Fangio, I think, in Denver, you know, more than likely, they're going to have to get things going. But I think his defense has played well. I think it's, you know, they got to get the quarterback position straightened out. But Gruden probably should be, but he's not going to be because he, you know, he's like a co-owner in that in that scenario. The the one that's kind of sneaky on here, and this is probably going to raise a lot of eyebrows, but to me, don't you think Shanahan's got to do something this year? I mean, yes, they got to the Super Bowl. They won 13, but the other three seasons, they got four wins, six wins, six wins. Granted, no, a lot, in, lot of injuries. Yeah, he's safe. Then it's just, and then the only one that's really for sure on the hot seat is Nagy, but the other ones could be, but yeah, maybe not so much. I think you've nailed it. Nagy is definitely one. I think Vic Fangio is definitely, I mean, he's kind of a hostage because kind of hostage situation because he doesn't have a quarterback but no quarterback new gm yeah but now they have a gm at least from the vikings george Patton. i think he's more competent than than john elway i mean you look at those vikings drafts i think john gruden should be on the hot seat i mean yes he has improved every year and logic regardless of how we've seen this offseason transpire for the Raiders and what we think about them. But logic says that they're going to get in the playoffs next year. I just don't know how with that offensive line. But he's safe. I think he's going to be safe for his, as, as long as... As long as, as the long Davis as, family owns that, yeah, yeah, he's not going anywhere. But he, like you said, I said, you know, he, he, probably, he should be. I wanted to mention three more guys because... I think Zach Taylor with the Bengals is going to be thrown under the bus. Even if Joe Burrow comes back and has a nice season, but if the Bengals are going to be like 3-13 and 13, uh, with another strong draft class possibly, he's a goner in my opinion. Kind of a no-man's land here. I think Mike Zimmer is in trouble, Lou. I think he's definitely yeah, on he's the Yeah, he's got to be on the, edge, on the edge there. We'll see. I don't know. Minnesota... They have certainly underachieved, for sure. They have, and I just think that if he has another losing season, we're not talking about winning the division. That that would be a tough task, but he's got to improve. He's got to get into the playoffs because time is kind of running out. I mean, his defense is, is getting older. They've already gotten older. He had to rebuild his secondary. He had to rebuild his defensive line. So, all right, let, let's roll with the offense then. Let, let's do that. You've got Dalvin Cook. You've got Kirk Cousins. You've got Justin Jefferson. I mean, unleash them and just try to outscore people, even if you're your defense. You, you've you got guys out there on on the team, and that's probably my biggest problem is that if he has a losing season with the players that he has there, then Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer are going to be gone. And another guy I just wanted to mention, I know Jerry Jones is loyal to his head coaches. I mean, Jason Garrett lasted nine seasons somehow, but if Mike McCarthy has well, he's a He's really the season, only one, though, right? 
every other coach he's had just seems like it seemed like it was a year-to-year thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, if Mike McCarthy has a losing season with Dak Prescott and that offensive firepower, and you know the defense is going to be better, you assume that because they brought in Dan Quinn and they're bringing a more friendly defensive system that has worked in the past when they, they ran a similar system. I just think that if he's going to go like 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 another season, Jerry is going to blow it all up and, and look at the college ranks. You know, hello, Lincoln Riley. Yeah, well, I don't think there's any secret that that's, that's kind of the direction he wanted to go in or there's an infatuation there. And plus, you know, now you've signed Dak to all that money. They've got, I don't know, how many guys? They've got like five guys that are in the top five salaries at their positions. And so far, it really hasn't gotten them anywhere. So that's got to be really gnawing at him. And now this, I guess the story is that he's really intrigued, like everybody else, by Kyle Pitts. So what does he have to do to get up from 10 to, to 4? Is he going to trade with Atlanta to go get Pitts? What's that going to take? Uh, how's, how far is that going to set the, set the franchise back? So you might want to keep Jerry out of the draft room. But uh, it was very uneasy last year. I think the, uh, the Nolan uh, experiment messed them up a lot. So hopefully bringing in Dan Quinn will straighten up their defense a little bit. And then offensively, yeah, I mean, as long as Dak is healthy, I think they're going to score points. Just a matter of stopping some people. Yeah, I, because now looking back on it now, outside of Jimmy Johnson, that's only because he won some Super Bowls, but there was friction there too, you know, near the end. I mean, he should have been there much longer than that. Uh, Switzer, I don't know, Dave Campo. I mean, they, they've had so many coaches, and like you said, the only one they stuck with was Garrett, and that seemed like it was a personal thing too. Yeah, we'll see. You know, McCarthy may, might be on his way out. But yeah, the Shanahan thing, though, again, yeah, there. this is going to be, what, year five of the six-year contract? Yeah. Then he and, yeah. he and Lynch came in at the same time with six-year deals. So we'll see how patient Jed York is. Uh, if they stay healthy, though, they should be a much better team. But again, that's a big if. Gets a mulligan last year. I mean, obviously the injuries and they overachieved. And they've had injuries at the most important position, which is the quarterback. And they're trying to solve it now with the number three overall pick. I think the Las Vegas team, look, John Gruden should be more in trouble than Kyle Shanahan, to be honest with you. I mean, how can you not be if you're not producing? You brought in your best buddy and Mike Mayock, and you guys are just having fun out there. But what the hell are you ultimately doing right now this offseason? Do you have a plan? I mean, do you have a good enough team? I'm not sure they do. I'm scratching my head out there. I mean, with all due respect, I realize he, he signed a 10-year contract. He seems safe. But what have you done for me lately, John Gruden? When was the last time you won a Super Bowl? That was a while back. I mean, you've had a lot of losing seasons with the Bucks, with the Raiders, first time around, second time around. Right now, it's all about the name, Lou. And I just think that the, the hype has to die down right now. The expectations were through the roof. They were excited when they brought him in because they always felt like he was a Raider, or a Raider for life. What have you done for me lately? If you're not going to have a winning season this year in a tough AFC West division, if you're not going to get into the playoffs, you got to blow it all up. And I'm sure John Gruden is going to throw Derek Carr under the bus. He's going to throw Mike Mayock under the bus and he's going to survive. But it's got to start with John Gruden. 
It's all about the cash. He's making ten million, and Mark Davis loves him. So that's kind of they're they're kind of joined at the hip. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, under any other circumstances, if he was coaching for a different owner, the seat would be on fire right now. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week, gang. Uh, like I said, we're two weeks away from the draft. Things are getting heavy. We'll see if there's any more deals. That, that's that's the one thing. If now we've kind of settled in and teams are going to wait till like draft day to, to make those deals. But I think there's going to be several uh, near the top and it, it should be exciting for everybody. So for Alex, I'm Lou. On the way out, we wish you peace.